Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, and I'm mom to two boys, a former middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 22. Happy Earth Month. Woo, it's been a long Earth Month, but uh, last episode we did we did our first deep dive into Earth Month and we talked about water pollution. And this week we're going to look at the human impact on the environment and how much humans suck. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to take a look at how to change everything by Naomi Klein, The Last Wild by Pierce Torday, and Beyond the Bright Sea by Lauren Wolk. Plus a whole bunch of other good stuff. Because that's how we roll. We want to give. We're givers. That's all we I can are say. Givers. We're mamas. Mamas are always givers. It's so true. <laughs> we save the world. So what's going on with you, lady? Oh, my God. Can I say how tired I am right now? Because all I do is the sports ball. I literally am at sports ball constantly right now. I think it's funny that you're complaining about this because I know that you are sporty and you love sports ball, all sports ball. And law last year, you couldn't do any of it. I know. I know. And I missed it. But the problem is when I used to do sports ball, I had one who was like in the in the middle range. He was like a, he was like a sixth grader, one that was like in the 12 year old leagues and one that was in the, like the learn to play leagues before. You know what I mean? Because they're five years apart. Now they're both in the leagues. So I have practice one night with one kid here. And some nights I have two practices across town at the same time. And sometimes like today, I had one kid who was playing on one field and by the on the other kid who was starting his his game in 20 minutes on the other side of the school, which is um, actually I can tell you that I made five laps between the two games. And by the time I got in my car at the end, my watch was like, hello, girl, is this you? What are you doing? It's a little early for exercise. And I'd, I'd already like banked in two miles by the time I got done well, there you between go. running back and forth. I'm just not like, I don't understand. Yesterday, one of the little one had practice. It was 42 degrees. I don't know what the wind chill was because it had to be God awful in New England yesterday. It had been raining for two days and I'm standing there while it poured rain on the sidelines, getting like turf in my toes and everything else watching the little one play. And I'm like, I'm just not made for this. I did not play sports ball except a tennis. I mean, I was a cheerleader, whatever, but I, I was a good child that would give my parents like the indoor things like, hey, oh, yeah. I'm going to be in the drama club. Hey, I'm going to do music so that sometimes my parents didn't have to stand out in the freaking cold rain and everything else. Now, my kids don't do that. I'm like, could any anybody feel an artsy or fartsy? No, nope, just fartsy. OK, then fine. <laughs> All of it is outside. Everything they do is outside. I bought one a ukulele for Christmas thinking maybe we could get some music going. You know where it is now? Under the bottom of the closet. The other one, he's like, I'd like you to sign me up for hockey. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, no. Ooh, we're hockey people in this house. My kids love hockey. My kids absolutely love hockey. My husband, who obviously is from Turkey and has not really experienced hockey, has no concept of why people would want to beat each other up like this. He's like, Americans are so violent. Why you like this? We are. I have to say my son played hockey and he would do camps in the summer. And it was like the best thing because I could oh, go yeah. sit inside an ice rink when it was like 90 degrees in Indiana. And it was so awesome. I know. That's a really good point. My perimenopausal ass might be needing that this I know. summer. That's so what I'm that's thinking. Point. Maybe I should look at that. I don't know. It's really not that bad to sit in those ice rinks because you got your coat on, but you're inside. So there's no wind. Yeah. And there's anything. no rain. Yeah, there's, there's no rain or there's no wind coming at you. That's this. This football thing is killing yeah. me. I wish they would they would go away from football and go back to soccer. But, you know, 
we'll get there. And it was such as another form of sports ball, but they don't play soccer in the rain. That's the nice oh, thing. That's true. Yeah. It's too dangerous to play in the rain. Football, they play that crap in everything. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so anyway, that's all I've been doing. This, that, and, you know, just trying to get, it's it's April vacation week here. And so we are officially on break and I'm ready for that. I got all my break reading ready. I'm ready to go. So what's new awesome. with you? How's the farm? How's the murder farm? <laughs> <laughs> the murder forest. <laughs> well, we haven't been back there for a little while. Because you're letting the muskrats take over. And we did fix our leak. Did I tell you that? No. Yeah, we the, the leaky dam. We totally like engineered the crap out of that thing because my smart husband figured out that the fifty pound bag of stuff that we were going to have to haul up the hill was also the main ingredient in cat litter. <laughs> so of course he did. We Captain got Google smaller bags of cat litter and carried those up the hill, and it did. And the it trick. worked. Yeah, it worked because it wasn't a huge leak, so it worked. I couldn't believe it worked. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so. My husband's new drama is I have a squirrel or something or a chipmunk that keeps like getting under my hood. I don't like to park in the garage because it's a giant pain in the butt because our garage is not attached to our house, as you know. It's, it's really like far down the hill. Yeah. So now I have a chipmunk in there, which he swears is because I park in the driveway and now he's after him. So this morning, the kids are like still in bed. It's really early. He looks out the window and he swears he sees the squirrel running underneath the jeep and it's going to get in there and so he takes the remote start and he keeps trying to remote start it and he starts it and he's and he's yelling out the window like ah, i got you i got you ha 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 you not get in there today and my youngest son is like freaking out he comes down he's like oh my gosh am i late am i late i'm like what are you talking about he's like am i late for football did i oversleep why is the car running and i'm like oh it's just your father he's chasing off a squirrel and he's like I mean, my kids just know all you have to do is just say, well, that's just Bob. And they're like, well, he's nuts. Okay, move on. Nugget told me a story yesterday and he's like, I have to tell you this in like, I'm, I'm going to tell you this like Baba so you understand it better. He goes, first I say, why did this happen? And he goes into this perfect Turkish accent and I'm like, I don't think I could love you more. I literally am howling. He is doing a perfect version of my husband's accent. He is like doing the gestures and everything. And I'm like, I, I see a career in comedy for him. I, I think this is where we're heading because, wow, he just morphed into like a 47-year-old Turkish man in 2.5 seconds. <laughs> All he needed was like a mustache. <laughs> like, kind of like a mom's dream. You're going to have a chef and a comedian. Like, I know, they right? They just entertain you all evening. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Everybody's got their talents. So, oh my God. Yeah. So anyway, that's what's new here. Just a lot of sports ball and a lot of nature attacks and my crazy. I know. I guess we shouldn't be complaining about nature when we're about to dive into eco right? and how to save oh, the God. planet. <laughs> Another bright and sunny one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, one more thing before we get started. We have to mention our sweet friend, Meryl Rainey, who has this awesome contest coming up this weekend, April 24th and 25th. And we want you guys to check it out if you have creative kiddos. Um, it's based on his Color Cut Create books. And Margie, I know you and your guys have done those. So you want to tell us about those books a little bit? Um, yeah, we've done these because Auntie Hehe sends them to us <laughs> and they're epic. So these books, uh, we recommended them on our um or holidays recommendation yeah. show as well. Um, let me start back. Let me do the tricks it back a little bit. We got addicted to these because during the beginning of COVID, there was a robot version that Heather had sent to us, to my kids. And you can cut color the pieces out. All the pieces are flat, obviously. And then it gives you instructions to print it, 
color it, cut it, and you turn it into these awesome paper toys. So we made these really cool robots all through the quarantine. They were awesome. We set them into little um, like stop motion things. We're not good at it, but it was fun. You know, like we're stop action is not our jam because we can't even stop our action just, you know, to eat or set anything at our house, but still. So then uh, imagine our delight when along comes two books from Aunt Hee Hee, one of them with dinosaurs and one of them with horses, full versions of the things that had gotten us through quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Merrill had done those for free online. He just offered his cut, color, create creations online for free during quarantine. For desperate he- parents. <laughs> yes, yes. They were fun, though. They're so yes. fun. Yeah. And so now he has these awesome books he got published. One of them is called Horse Ranch and one of them is called Dinosaur World. They're both under the Color Cut Create title is the big Mm -hmm. title. Yeah. Banner. That's the grown up way to say it. Yeah. But they're really, really fun. And the books are thick. They're printed on a really nice cardstock. They're super easy. You can take them out and color them. You can color them in the book. My kids have done both. My kids blew through the dinosaur one like nobody's business and they have been loving the horse book as well. What's important to note here is that my kids are old. One of my older son is the one who enjoyed it more. My 12, now 13 year old. He loved it more than his little brother. He was so into it. So I think this is really cool about the contest. There are two different levels, right? Yeah, he's doing two different levels, which is so cool. So he's doing the cut, color, create, and photograph for kids ages 5 to 8, and then cut, color, create, and animate for kids ages 8 to 12. So your older kids can make movies out of them, and the younger ones could set up cool dioramas. And the instructions said... You can add in whatever you want. So like if you have cool plastic dinosaurs or different giant plants. Yeah. I can't give away my secrets. We're going in. I don't want to, I don't want to lose because I give away all my ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Be in the jungles of Massachusetts soon. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be bog monsters. You'll have bog monsters. Oh my God. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. I give up cranberries all over the place. God knows. I still have a freezer full of cranberries because when you go to anything in the fall, they give you a bag of cranberries. So there we go. (laughs) So you can find everything, right? You can find it all on. Yeah. Color dash cut dash create.com and that's where the rules and everything are yeah and you can tell us a little bit matt what is this part of though it's part of something right yeah it's part of the ohioana uh book festival which i have always wanted to go to this it looks so cool it's a book festival put on it started in 2007 um in ohio uh, by a library i think runs it and it's a huge event um it just always looks like so much fun Mm -hmm. and so that starts on thursday which is also earth day so it kicks off that day and it goes thursday friday saturday sunday and fortunately this year because well fortunately i guess i shouldn't say it that way but it is all online which is kind of nice for people isn't who everything yeah. <laughs> oh wait i could go i know that's what i'm saying we could all attend Ooh, because it's online cool. okay you don't have to drive to ohio this year so i'm nice. super excited and they have like an awesome collection of authors who are going to participate in this event and so diverse i was looking through the list and it looks amazing i noticed that okay mora is participating and she is this amazing called account winning illustrator and author of children's books. So she's participating. It looked like she was going to be promoting the oldest student, How Mary Walker Learned to Read, which I think this book looks great. And she illustrated that one, but she also has her own book. So hopefully she'll be promoting all of her stuff. And also, you know who else lives in Ohio? Is it our girl, Margaret? It's our girl. Our girl, Margaret Peterson Haddix is participating. She's totally going to take out a restraining order on us soon. (laughs) 
She's totally going to. Well, she won't be alone, though. And now, now we have more. We have more people that we stalk and follow and love and adore. So There's a whole list. We can add Meryl to the list. We can stalk him, too. For sure. Poor Meryl. We'll be at your door. Who are those crazy old ladies out in my yard again? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they drinking so much? <laughs> Good God. Is that Franzia? Is that a box of Franzia? <laughs> Oh my gosh, box wine and lawn chairs. <laughs> That's going to be my autobiography. <laughs> box wine and lawn chairs, the story of Margie. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, anyway, it's so cool. Go check it yes. out. We love these things. And I, they're so creative. They're so different than anything else you find in like activity books and stuff. Yes. Notice that some big names all of a sudden, who shall remain nameless, are getting on the activity book bandwagon. I got a couple yesterday and I'm like, wait a minute, somebody else has already cornered this market. Step away. So, um, <laughs> but these are really like, these are the, the OG and they're really fun. So check it out and do the contest. So yeah, we'll link to the websites below, but again, it's color dash cut dash create.com is Merrill Rainey's website. If you want to look at his books and you can, I'm sure you can get those anywhere you can get your books too. I think I ordered them on Amazon for Margie for the kiddos. And then the Ohioana book festival, you can check them out too. And you can check us out in our favorite author's front yards with our friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll be there. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I would like to participate in this festival too, even though it'll be virtual. So we'll have to be in our bathrobes and <laughs> with our lawn chairs, <laughs> with our lawn chairs and our bathrobes. So yeah, check it out, people. We highly recommend it. Well, should we get started? Let's do this thing. All right, let's get started. Let's start off with our second ever middle grade nonfiction selection um, called How to Change Everything by Naomi Klein. It's the Young Human's Guide to Protecting the Planet and Each Other. Margie, can you tell us a little bit about the book? I can. Okay, so I chose this book because it was brand spanking new. It came out in late February of 2021. Um, It is a really, again, you know me, I judge a book by my cover. It's always, it's got this like really great graphic bright kind of goldish yellow with an earth on it and it looks so healthy and uplifting and it's not it's not that uplifting it's a little startling it's startling um i i contemplated like calling in for a prescription of valium by the time i was like halfway through the book and again let me give you a little background I, the book is not poorly written it's brilliantly written it's brilliantly researched Brilliant. we are still in a pandemic and i think that we need to be cognizant of the choices we make at this time because life is hard right now life is heavy still still right now and I think that um while this is super important it also is super depressing I also think uh, in the book's defense we're reading this with mom goggles a hundred percent that's a little stressful and also not just mom goggles but also gen xers who are basically to blame for most of oh no it's the boomers but we're this we're so cynical by nature that i think that that's like i was thinking the same thing because as a gen xer reading this book and i'm like well there's no hope 
because that's like that's our thing like that's our like, we're, we're very kind of defeatist in that we're like okay well we screwed that up and it's well, over and one of the really cool things about this book is it tells a lot about the history of what was happening in the world it goes all the way back to the invention of the steam engine and all of this and how all of this has contributed but in the 80s everybody was pretty much in agreement that climate change was a thing and that we all need to do something yeah. about it and that it lays it out in the book how that was and I remember that I mean I was in yeah. high school in the late 80s I remember a lot of it very clearly clearly. And I guess that's why we feel a little bit defeatist about it because it was like, okay, when we were young, everyone thought, yeah, we got to do something about it. And somehow- Well, and, and it was happening. Yeah. And all then all these large forces came together to really just step on it. And we saw how powerless mm-hmm. we were in the face of some of this stuff. And it really was- disheartening. And and again, we are a smaller generation. We're sandwiched between the boomers and the millennials, basically. Yeah, everyone forgets us. Don't have as big of a voice. And the people who do were children of the 80s, where it was all the me generation and get yours and all that kind of stuff. And that, I mean, that was sort of what was fed to us. I, okay, so I'm going to disagree with you on that, though. But I'm going to give you a little background before we start. I'm going to disagree with you on the fact that the at Gen X we are to blame because if you look at part one, it goes back far beyond that. So how to change everything? It came out, like I said, in February 2021. It's written by Naomi Klein, who is a really important journalist. She's a Canadian writer. She's done a lot of like eco journalism, but she's also kind of breaking big things down into ways that people can understand them, like capitalism and that kind of stuff. So she's had a lot of international bestsellers for older people, older people like adults, you know, not like what we read for. And that one of those is this changes everything, capitalism versus the climate, the shock doctrine, the rise of disaster capitalism and no logo. Those are all like were big books that she wrote. This is, seems to, from what I can tell, this is her first kind of foray into breaking it down small enough that a kid could understand it. And Rebecca Steffoff, I think was kind of the person that helped with that. Yeah. Rebecca Stefoff is a children's author, a nonfiction author. And she kind of helped because the book does give her some credit on there. So it breaks it down. She's It's broken down into three parts. Where we are, which is incredibly depressing. How we got here, which is incredibly interesting and depressing. And then what happens next, which is the one part where you kind of feel like, okay, all right, this book is going somewhere that maybe is not as depressing as I think it is. The first third of it I found to be fascinating because it explains things like what really happened in Hurricane Katrina and Maria and and sort of looking at things in Puerto Rico after Maria and the Australian wildfires and the Dakota Access Pipeline. Looking at that, how those things kind of came into being on a good sort of middle grade level. The vocabulary is easy to understand. She breaks it down really clear and concise. So it's like, okay, this is what happened, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's almost like a case study. Yeah. Very well laid out case study of what happened. Yeah. And the second part I found the most fascinating. I have to say that I thought the second part, because I am a giant science nerd, but not necessarily really that well-versed in the history of scientists. So she gives us explanation of Francis Bacon, the scientist, and the impact and how he basically him and like Descartes and all these sort of thinkers uh, hundreds of years ago transformed mankind's thinking that we are not mother earth is not a living being breathing thing which was obviously like the indigenous belief but yet 
it was something that is just there for us. And we don't need to revere or honor this thing. It's not a living, breathing thing. It's just here to kind of be, I think she calls it like our vending machine. The earth is just a vending machine to provide us whatever we need. And it's an endless supply. And I was like, that is such an explanation that I can get behind as, I mean, that I could use that. I would use that in a classroom to explain it to kids. Like, this is how we got here. We lived for, for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years as this sort of like in unity with mother earth. And then here comes these guys that are like, oh no, no, no. We can just rape, pillage and burn whatever we need because it's always going to be there. And that gave way to the steam engine and to mining and all of this stuff. And it was just a giant growing snowball. Yeah. All that fed into consumerism. And now we have to buy stuff in order to keep all of this turning forward. And so now we're part of it too. And then at the end of that, she kind of goes into like the Green New Deal and it kind of explaining the Green New Deal, which was so helpful to me because I was like, you know, I hear all this talk, but I didn't quite always get, you know, like I had an idea of what it was, but I didn't have it right. What what I had sort of taken away from all of the discussions wasn't exactly what was happening here. She also goes back and compares it to everything that was happening to the Great Depression and the original New Deal explains that and says, look how we did that. We could do it this way. And that's why it can work. And like after World War II, right? Yeah. The Marshall Plan came after World War II. Yeah. Rebuilding Europe. We could re- we can do it the same way. So I think that in and of itself was like, okay, that's great. Because even as an adult, a lot of that's hard to understand. Plus, as a mom, you if you're not working in that field, you have so many things to understand. And if it's not top on your mm-hmm. on your agenda, oh, come on now. You know what I mean? Like it's so many things to get mm-hmm. through. So I think that breaking it down like that was really great. And then the third section is sort of like a little bit about how we can make that Green New Deal happen. And then it explains like, um, she talks a lot about young people who have really sort of led the charge like Greta Thunberg, Oda Quinones, and like just how Steve, one of them, who's a Native American fighter. Quinones is from Puerto Rico and she's kind of like fighting for equality. The thing that's so good about this book is it ties in the inequality, racial disparities, um, socioeconomic disparities, all of that into climate change. And who's really getting the short end of the stick with climate change? It's not the rich white people. That's who's causing the problem. They're not the people that are getting it. It's the underserved populations that are really getting hit. And that was so evident in Katrina. That was so evident in Maria all around the globe. So many incidents that she talks about. It's a great teaching tool if you can get through it and not give up in the de- depressing aspect of it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I definitely think once I got past the where we are point, I felt I really got into the book then, like how we got here and what happens next. Because she also includes towards more towards the end of the book, the hopeful things that came out of those natural disasters. Yeah, that was really cool. Like the town in Puerto Rico that was using solar energy and that saved them. They they didn't have to go without electricity because they'd already had a building in their center of their town that had and then they were able to provide for the whole town yeah you've got your dialysis machine come use ours come use our electricity yeah and i particularly love the story about the town in um kansas i i went to college in kansas for a couple years and i actually survived a pretty bad tornado that came through the town i was in and so there was a town in kansas that she talks about that got devastated by a really bad the tornadoes in that area are getting worse and worse now and um they were devastated the whole town was devastated by a tornado system and they came together afterwards some people left of course but the people who wanted to stay when they were rebuilding they 
thought, who do we want to be? How do we want our town to be rebuilt? And they incorporated voices from kids, like, how do you want your school to be? I mean, and they just took it all in and they created one of the most eco-friendly towns in our country. And I really want to go visit there now. I think that sounds so cool. Yeah, that's a great road trip for you. Be cool. Yeah. So anyway, once you kind of get past the where we are now, which can be a little overwhelming, especially if you're a mom. Yes. (laughs) But again, kids have a little bit more perspective and they also have more at stake. So, I mean, it's important information for them. I think from a teacher's perspective, I would be hesitant to assign the whole book, but I would use parts of this book a lot. I would use it as a science teacher. I would use it as a social studies teacher. Like I would use it in English as well because it's very journalistic and the way that it's written is very journalistic. And it's so it's kind of easy to t- take little bites of it. Yeah. And that was one of the things I really admired about it. It reads like a really long article. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And again, it's, it's written in very simple and clear language that breaks things down. So the, yeah, the journalistic aspect of it is amazing. Plus there's a lot of sources and information that's pulled in and actual facts. <laughs> yeah. Not false arguments yeah. or anything like that. There's none of that in there. But I agree with you. Like you could easily copy out sections of this and as handouts as a teacher. Just supplemental reading to go along when you're teaching different subjects, you know. For example, like the steam engine part to me was fascinating. Like what a mess that turned out to be in the end. Even if you're studying that in history class, that would be great as a companion to that, you know, just little bits at a time. Oh, yeah. Well, I love that teaching style where it crosses all of the different categories. And in, especially when you use a book to kind of cross all the different categories, like like you're saying, science, um, sociology, history, English, all of that, you could use this book for. It. I mean, I have to say, like I said, and a lot of the reviews that I read online said the same thing. It's a lot. It's a lot to, to, it's super heavy. If you were interested, if you're a kid that's really interested in climate change, it's exactly what you need. It's exactly what you want. Yeah, if you have a little Greta Thornburg on your hands, then for sure, give them this book. But some kids will, and especially, like I said, right now, maybe not the best time to hand it to some kids because there's so much heaviness in the world right now. If you have a worrier, that might not be a good thing. I have two worriers and I'm a worrier myself, so it's good. That's tough. But like I said, it was hard for me, but it's a good read. It's worth reading. Yeah, I was glad I read it in the end, for sure. I think it's going to be an important book. It'll it'll be interesting to see how it gets used moving forward. And it's all the information is way current. Yeah, because it even talks about the, uh, there's an afterward about what's happening during COVID and how things have changed with COVID. And are we going to use COVID as a chance to kind of rethink? Spoiler alert, it looks like that's not going to happen. We're just going to just do whatever we want because we're humans and we suck. But maybe. I think so. Some things will change, but not probably as dramatically as people were hoping. Yeah. Um, you had a really good point, though. You said like you read read it in little chunks. And I think that might be you kind of took a yeah. break here and there. And I think that might be a good solution. I didn't. I just kind of powered through it. And that was not a good way to do it for me because I got to be like, oh, God, I have to read this again. Uh, this is so depressing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that it really started to weigh on my heart heavy. By the end of the reading it, I was like, I am so worried about my kids in this world that I have brought them into. And the fact that I have pretty young kids is really that it was really depressing for me. You know, I have to say, though, um, I understand what you're saying. And I feel that. But also, I was thinking back to when I was a kid in the 80s and the things that were they were telling us that we were going to have to worry about and were going to be problems in our lives. And one of them was overpopulation. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that, but that was a huge thing in the 80s, how we're overpopulating the earth and what are we going to do? We're going to run out of food and water and all these resources because we'll have too many people. And 
I remember being really worried about that because my mom had five kids and I was like, well, I guess I can only, and and honestly, it's kind of funny because I did end up only having one child, but I kind of always thought that when I was younger that I should only have one child because then that's taking my husband and me and only replacing us with one person versus two. So, I mean, those were kind of my worries as a teenager, but obviously, you know, one of the huge impacts on that was women working more and they're having less to fewer children now yeah. and our and their lives are better because they're more financially stable and and birth control obviously is a huge has had a huge impact and people waiting yeah people waiting until you're older and women just having more control over their lives has changed that so much and so i guess i'm a little bit more hopeful about a lot of this because i feel like Yes, it seems dire. And yes, the scientists are freaking out and terrified. But I also think that eventually there'll be solutions that start to show up because like these kids are amazing kids. But I also read that extra book I wanted to share really quick before we move on. Yeah, yeah. It's called Girl Warriors, How 25 Young Activists Are Saving the Earth. Um, and it's by Rachel Sarah. And I'm sorry that there are no boys in this book, Margie. But- That's all right. I'm used to everybody's always never about boys. Go on. Well, I'm, I'm sure that there are plenty of boys out there too, but I thought this was such a great book. Um, it was very inspirational since, you know, that the other one was so heavy. I just thought this, I kind of want to share this book. It's a quick read. It's full of the bios of 25 young women who are trying to make a difference in climate change and environmentalism. Is it new? Is it brand new book? Yeah. I mean, it, I wasn't even sure if I was going to get it in time to talk about it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Just came out 2021. Awesome. So um, the bios are just like three to four pages long. So super easy to read. And it highlights the lives of women from all over the world, Europe, Africa, India, South America, and of course, the U.S. Um, of course, I had to share. There's one young woman who stood out to me. Her name's Isabella Falahi, and she's from Indianapolis, Indiana. I had to shout out the Hoosier Connection. All right. Her birthday is in April also. So I want to say happy birthday to Isabella. Um, but she loves watching Star Wars. So I knew I'd love her right away. <laughs> oh, there you go. She's a fellow nerd with us. I like it I already. She's adorable too. So the, the book, each bio has a picture of the person and a little thing about them, like where they're born, what they like, how to contact them. But her story is really fascinating. Marty, I thought you would appreciate it because she has asthma. And when she was a young girl, her mom lived near the Harding Station power plant, which used it was a coal burning plant in Indianapolis in Indianapolis yeah apparently Indianapolis almost all of our power plants are coal burning well done nice well I know northern Indiana has the um, windmills now but I'm not sure how much of that affects Indianapolis but anyway so she would wake up in the middle of the night of course can't breathe because the particles are in the air and there are homes all around that power plant because of course it was built in a hello depressed economic area of course yeah and that aggravated her asthma so bad that she couldn't breathe that night. And so that really pushed her to join the fight against fossil fuels like when she got in high school. And she ended up getting invited to the climate change conference in 2019. Actually, that was kind of an interesting conference because they all these young people were invited to attend. And then they found out that most of the people that were there were actually representatives from fossil fuel industry. What? Yeah. So they ended up protesting it because they realized that they did, would never have a strong enough voice against these people who are there to negotiate. Yeah. So anyway, so she was part of all that. And she wrote about her experience in Teen Vogue. So I know there's an article floating around out there if you want to read it. So now she's kind of joined forces with activists all over the world. Anyway, I thought that was a cool book called Girl Warriors by Rachel Sarah. I want to check that out. That sounds really interesting. And I thought too, there might be some crossover from some of the people who are mentioned in How to Change Everything book and this book, but there really isn't. So that made me feel even more positive. That there's even more of them out there. Yeah, that there's so many out there that you can't, there's not even any overlap on who's doing 
what. So that's pretty amazing. And these women were from all over the world. So it's not just the United States. That's cool. Uh, just one other thing I, I'm going to throw in here because, you know, girls doing because we do it all. Um, there's an article. I don't know if you saw it. It was kind of floating around social media this week from The New Yorker. Um, it was it came out on April 12th and it's called The Moms Who Are Battling Climate Change. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. It's really, really interesting. And we can link it in the show note because it's not one. Of, it's not behind a paywall or anything. And anyway, it, it's about this organization that was started by John Marshall, who was, uh, you know, kind of like a PR dude. And he started the Science Moms movement and his group was called the Potential Energy Coalition. And then out of that came the Science Mom because he is he said that men are basically useless. And if you want that's quote and I quote men are basically useless useless girl preach. And if you want something done, you get the moms on it and it's working. It's really, it really is working kind of like informing other moms and other people about the drastic measures that need to be taken to combat climate change at this juncture right now. But it's a great little article and it's about the moms within that group. But I just thought, I was like, because when it comes to climate change, men are basically useless. And I'm like, yeah, they did it. So I don't really think it was Gen X. I think it was the men. I think it was a whole bunch of white men. I, I just blame them. So um, because men are basically useless. That's the quote that I'd like put on my skirt. And it's and the best thing is like, you know, it's written by a woman and it's written in like, literally she quotes that because as he says, quote, men are basically useless. And I'm like, yeah, girl. But it is true because, you know, like, just like you said, the young women warriors, that's who's going to get it done. Not that boys aren't going to do anything, but that's who's going to see the, I think because women, as women, we have a tendency to view the future and to look for the future and to contemplate the future, not like just live in the now. And I think moms especially do that. So I think it was, uh, speaking of another Hoosier, I think it was Kurt Vonnegut who used to say that we need a ministry of the future as a part of our government. And I full heartedly agree with that statement. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is part of the problem. There's no one forward thinking. And when you have a government that's led by people who get overturned or maybe only serve throughout their lifetimes, it's hard for them to care because they want the immediate. It's their own agenda to kind of work through first. Well, and I, I just think that you're worried about what's in front of you. When there's a lot of concerns in the world, you, you can only worry about what's in front of you. But I think if there were people whose job it was to only worry about what's coming up, in the future, then that would add a lot of a voice, you know, a missing voice to the government or to the world. Well, let's hope. And I feel like that's what all these books are trying to do is try to get kids to be the voice of the future since it will affect them and their families more than, than the people who are in charge now. Which I have to say is like an absolute perfect segue because our second books are fiction, but both of ours are about kids kind of leading the way, right? Mine was. Yours is too, right? Yes. So um, I think that's really true because I like being able to look at a nonfiction and then being able to contrast that with a book of fiction because I think it really does balance it out. Me, not so much because I mistakenly chose a book that had a pandemic, which led to dystopia. So maybe that wasn't the best choice for, again for right now, but yours might be more uplifting, right? What was your second <laughs> Mine was definitely more uplifting than that. The eco-fiction book that I chose is Beyond the Bright Sea by Lauren Wolf. Unfortunately, this isn't a new one, but it's been in my TBR list for a long time. So I wanted to read it's it. It's not that old though, right? It came out in 2017. It looks like the paper book came out like in the fall of okay. 2018. So old. it's not super old either. I was really interested in this book because it's sort of a combination of historical fiction, eco-fiction. Oh. And then there's also this great mystery in the story. And it all sounded so fascinating. 
So, and it definitely didn't disappoint. Oh, good. Yeah. And there's, you know, crazy things that happen in the story, but it's also uplifting stories. It's set in the 1920s and the main character is 12 year old Crow and she lives on Elizabeth Island in Massachusetts. Oh, cool. They're sort of far from the maddening crowd, if you will. <laughs> anyway, um, she lived there ever since she was found floating in a raft along the coast by an old bachelor that she called Ash. Same thing happened to me. <laughs> That's how you end up in Massachusetts. <laughs> floating along. It was a rather big raft and it was shaped like a duck. <laughs> it was a pool floating. It was. They were like, ma'am, you need to put that cocktail down. We're going to tow you in now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Sorry. My, my bad. That's just what happens out here. <laughs> Pretty normal stuff. So anyway, Ash and Crow kind of live a very simple life. They have this friendly neighbor named Miss Maggie and she's an older lady who lives across the sand dune. So she also kind of lives this somewhat reclusive life. So Ash and Crow, like they live in a home that's built from found items that wash up from the sea. They have a small garden and then they gathered wild food from the island. And then also Miss Maggie shares stuff with them. So they have plenty of food. They're very happy. Miss Maggie often delivers books from the library for Crow's education. And they just lead this simple, happy life in harmony with nature and the sea. But then, dun, dun, dun. dun. One day, Crow, who's um, always kind of wondered where she came from, of course, if you're found floating on the sea, you might wonder. Right. But she spies a fire on the neighboring uh, on the beach of a neighboring island. She has some old um, binoculars that she found that were broken on the beach that she uses to kind of look out at sea. And the neighbor, there's a neighboring island where a scientist lives, and he's been living there for a while, managing the wild bird population. So there's a little bit more information in there, kind of about the ecology of the wild birds and stuff too, which is kind of interesting. Cool. But supposedly he lives alone on the island, and of course would never start a fire near the bird habitats. And so this kind of leads Crow to think, oh, wonder what's going on. Maybe something's wrong. Yeah. So this mystery sort of compels Crow to go investigate that island. And so Crow and Ash and Miss Maggie all go. And then it's kind of fascinating because then Crow's origin story starts to get entangled in with the story of what's happening on that island. Is she part bird? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I guessed it. Don't have to read it. <laughs> So it's really cool. I don't want to give away too much because it's really a fun story. But basically, you know, it's it's a typical middle grade story where Crow is challenged to explore who she is and what she wants and where she really belongs and all that kind of stuff. So I just really love this book. I thought it was great because that simple sort of eco-friendly lifestyle they lived wasn't like in your face. It, it was just always present and it was kind of in the background of the mystery that was driving the plot. So it works so well because you're entertained by the mystery, but you're also start to appreciate this sort of lifestyle that they're living and how much they love it. You realize how much they love it and how happy they are with it. At one point, like Crow has to go into the city and it's just really overwhelming to her. And I could just feel that. I was like, oh yeah, it's the difference, you know, of being in the city. And when you go out to the country, how you just feel so, I don't know, so much more like yourself. Plus, if they were going to the city, they're going to New Bedford, which is where Lizzie Borden lived. So at that time, so they would have been like, what? <laughs> it, was a, it wasn't the best time to go. <laughs> well, and it was 1920s. So it was like the beginning of the industrialization. And so it was dirty and scary and loud and gross. 
where all the uh, fishing boats come through. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I don't know. I just thought it was a great book. Um, Lauren Wolf lives on Cape Cod, by the way. So maybe we can stalk her sometimes. We can stop in and visit. I know. She looks like she would be so much fun to hang out with. But she's pretty well known already. She's got a Newbery honor for her book, The Wolf Hollow. And she also wrote Echo Mountain. And then this Beyond the Bright Sea, this book that I'm talking about, has already won a ton of awards. I was going to say, I, it's gotten a lot of press, right? A yeah. lot. Yeah. I know. Usually I try to avoid the ones that won a bunch of awards because we like to give you stuff that you might not see. But uh, this one was so good. And it won the 2018 Scott Adele Award for Historical Fiction. I'm going to have to read this. That sounds really, in- it sounds fascinating. I like this new style of historical fiction that's coming out now where it's really less about the time period and what was happening. and more just about these great stories that happen to be set in this time period, you know? Yeah. You can't go wrong with Lauren Wilk books. So this is Beyond the Bright Sea, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Beyond Mm -hmm. the Bright Sea. Okay. So when you come out, we'll just go visit. Well, first of all, first we'll stop off and take Lauren to lunch. Yeah. Buy her some cocktails. We'll find her. I'm only 15 minutes off the Cape. We can I know. Away, no problem. And then um, we can just buzz right down to New Bedford, which is only 25 minutes away. And I can go, we can go out and take a little, I'm sure they said it'll be like a, you know, dinghy or something we could take. Maybe we'll just take our own. We could paddleboard out there if we get in shape. We could get in shape for this. Oh, I would love this. This <laughs> is sounding so fun. I love it. So plan your vacay. <laughs> and I'll read that one. I have to say too, for a farm girl who grew up in the middle of like land, you know, landlocked country. I have a fascination with stories set on the ocean anyway. You know, I literally like drive to the ocean like every day for the same reason because I can't stop. No, honest to God, like my kids are always like, mom, are we going like, oh, we're going to go hiking over by that one that ends up on the beach or we're going to go hiking from this one that ends up on the beach. And then they're always like, mom, why are we always going to the ocean? I'm like, because I didn't even see the freaking ocean until I was like 20. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's fascinating to it me. Is. Like I grew up so landlocked. And the fact that my kids have friends that are like, their dads are like lobstermen or something like that. I'm like, this is insane. So cool. like, this is like, this is like the stuff you saw on television to me. So, and now living here where we are, literally, we buzz out to Cape Cod. We spend a lot of time on the Cape because we went to the uh, Pirate Museum there last week, which is awesome. But there's just so many cool things to do on the Cape. And the beaches are just the most beautiful, dreamy beaches you've ever seen. And they're freezing cold, but they're really, it's just stunning. It's just a stunning way of life that um, there is something that you understand why so many books are set around here. It's just oh yeah, beautiful. It's a really beautiful place. And I do, I do too. I agree. Anything in the ocean, on the ocean. I love it. I love everything about it. So I'm reading that book. <laughs> you should. It's going to my pile now. She might be one of my new favorite authors. So, well, we might have to add her to our fangirl list. I'd have to watch out, Lauren. <laughs> We're coming for you. She's going to be calling like the mass state police. She's like, I'm going to need a restraining order put in, put on that crazy woman. There's two ladies with cocktails and glasses, right? They just sit on my front lawn. And I don't know what they're waiting for, but they just keep saying, hey, girl, every time I walk by, if you could take care of them, that would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And the mass state of police would be like, oh, it's Margie. (laughs) Is she stalking authors again? She's here again. All right, cool. Excellent. Yeah. She, She did that before. Yeah. 
something about a wimpy kid. I don't know. She said, yeah, Mr. Kinney didn't want her back either. So um, we'll take care of it. Tell her hi. Oh, gosh. Oh, that book um, was far more uplifting than that. Yeah. Okay. So you read The Last Wild for your second book, right? Tell me about it. Okay. I did. And it actually came out. It's a little bit older, but but it was everywhere. So it's one of those, like, when I started looking for eco-fiction, every single time this book popped up. So that's why I was like, okay, I have to read it because I want to know why this is one of the pioneers of sort of eco-fiction. It came out in 2015. It's part of a trilogy. And it's um, The Last Wild is the first book. It's by Piers Torday. Um, the second book is called The Wild Beyond. And then the third book is called The Dark Wild. And they're all out, obviously. There's a boy named Kester, and he's mute. And he's 12 years old. And he lives in a dystopian world where all the animals are dead, or so it's believed. Because the pandemic came and it was called the red eye and it ravaged the country it's in it's, it takes place in england so this is a, a pandemic that goes for through the animals and it can be transferred to the people because Kester's mom died from it and then that's when he went mute he had so he hasn't spoken for six years the animals are all dead if they're not dead they're calling them because they don't want the red eye to spread any further um humans have all been kind of like shepherded into cities to live in the cities and they have to live off something called formula remember that what was that movie soil and green it's all i could think of so it's this pink slop called formula it comes in a few different flavors much like soylent green did and it is manufactured by a large company so the large company is actually the one who's calling the animals to make sure that nothing can grow they're spraying pesticides all over the flowers and plants so that people will have no other option but to eat formula now gross welcome to QAnon. <laughs> it's it's like it's so it's incredibly depressing in that sense because you're like well yes i'm sure in 2015 i would have read this and been like wow that's a great idea for a sci-fi book. right now i'm like <laughs> cringe cringe this is too much this is too much reality so Kester was taken to a, a place called spectrum hall and that is where they hold children who might be orphans they said that he's being put there because his father didn't want him any longer because his father is unable to take care of him because he's a veterinarian and he is a scientist who Kester thinks is looking for a cure but many people think his father is responsible for creating the red eye. Mm. But Kester doesn't know that for a long time. He can't speak to anyone. They've been sending him through therapy. Nothing happens. Every day is the same in this sort of like padded room place where he is in the quarantine zone. Sounds familiar. And one day a cockroach appears and the cockroach is called the general. And he starts talking to him and Kester can, I can hear him and understand him and he can talk back to him and the cockroach can understand him. And he's like, whoa, what is this? So the cockroach, who's the general, one day says, be here at this time. We're going to take care of things. And the cockroaches break him out of Spectrum Hall. Wow. And just when you think the cockroaches can't get him far enough, all the, because uh, I'm sorry, I should say rodents didn't die. Oh, okay. All the animals died, but rodents like cockroaches and pigeons did not die okay so everything else we think is dead but rodents did not yeah there's a lot of layers to this story so the cockroaches with the help of some pigeons get kessler take him far far into the middle of the woods and when he gets to the middle of the woods he is met by a bunch of animals and they are the last wild and the wild is a stag a giant stag and he is there and he and kester are talking and they went to get kester because they they knew he could talk to the animals somehow I don't know. 
I don't know how they knew if they saw it on like animal buzzfeed, whatevs, <laughs> but they knew that he could talk to the animals and that they knew that his father could use his human magic to stop the red eye and save what's left of the animal kingdom, which is them, just them that are living in the circle of the last wild. That's basically the story in a nutshell. And the whole rest of the book is the last wild all working with Kester to try to get him and help him find his father and to try to stop the red eye. I listened to it. I read it. I read, I, I tend to like to do both. If I can get it on audiobook, I like to read part of it and listen to on audio too, just because it's fun. The only thing that I hated is like the bad guy's voice sounded exactly like Gru. Little children. And I was like, okay, stop. This is too much. But um, it was really great. It's a great audio listen. Like if you're going on a car trip or something, it's a really, it's a fun audio listen because the animals are talking to him. And he does meet a girl who's kind of a throwaway character in a sense because maybe she has a bigger role in the next book but the only real thing that she's there for is he can't talk so she she gives him scrabble tiles to spell out what he's trying to say and basically she carries the scrabble tiles every time she's like wait i've got the tiles and she'll kind of like break the tiles out and explain things that he can't say to humans but he can talk to the animals and he does talk to her cat and this cat is like this surly nasty exactly what you would imagine a cat to sound like if they ever should talk um the world building is really great it's got so much detail sometimes it gets bogged down in details it's got a lot of action my biggest problem is that there i had two problems there's guns in it i am not a gun girl they shoot the animals mm-hmm. and i don't like that and it's really it really it took me off guard I didn't see that coming so then when it happened i was like oh my god and then it happened a few more times and i was like i i just didn't need that i don't want that in my book you know it was a little too violent even uh for me i don't like guns in books but and then there's no closure it literally makes you like here it's like we read we read another one a couple other ones like that if you're going to do a series good on you but make it a complete book mm-hmm. and give me a sense of closure at the end so then I can pick up the next book and it's a standalone. Right. Don't make me like to be continued. I hate that because I'm not going to continue. I didn't like it enough to want to continue because you left me hanging. Mm-hmm. You didn't give me any closure on these characters that I started to love. So now I'm like, Ugh. and there's plenty of things you can do towards the second half of a book to put in roots for the second book and still also yeah. have a closed arc on the first book. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's sort of a cheap trick. It's like cheating. Yeah. It's a book selling gimmick. Yeah. But you know, but that's what it was. It's called The Last Wild by Pierce Torday. Yay, pandemics, <laughs> dystopian pandemics. Yay. Oh my God. Can we go on to something happy for the next show? <laughs> For sure. We're going to need it. Yeah. Who knew Earth Day? It's so funny because in my mind, like when I was younger, Earth Day was like this happy day when you planted trees and now it's like, we're all going to die. Right. <laughs> right. And you only you can stop it. <laughs> oh, it's so much pressure. <laughs> all right. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Okay. We'll be back with our pick six next. All right, for today's pick six, Heather is going to share, just like I'm a spy nerd, she's a nature nerd. (laughs) Um, So she's going to share six of her top nature picture books. So one thing that's really important, too, is that um, we can talk a little bit more about this as we go. As a teacher, I use picture books all the way through. So don't think that these picture books, we're just telling you these for your little nuggets that are um, of the lap sitting age. Picture books are a great way to introduce subjects, to go over difficult subjects, 
Don't just think that these picture books are just for the little lap nuggets. They're for everybody. Yeah. The nature books I have, these are all more fun. I had heavier ones last time around. So I went with some a little bit lighter ones that just encourages a love of nature and a, a desire to be outside. Which is the first step to saving the planet, P.S. For sure. First step. I think I talked about in the last episode about how at preschool, one of the biggest things we do at, t- at preschool is, of course, teach social skills and positive interaction with their friends. But also a love for nature is like right up there with it. I mean, we do nature play. We're outdoors. We do, uh, you know, a lot of teaching about nature and the world around them. Right. But you're not going to be a steward of nature if you're not a lover of, of nature. Course. So get them get them out there and get them understanding how much amazing stuff is happening outside. Right. So the first book that I have for you is called A Leaf Can Be by Laura Purdy Salas. She is a great picture book author. So if you see anything by her, you probably can't go wrong. A Leaf Can Be, it's a poem about basically all the things a leaf can be. And it's adorable. (laughs) It's about, well, the things a leaf can be. So like here, a leaf can be a soft cradle, water ladle, sun taker, food maker. And it just goes on and on like that. Tree topper, rain stopper. It's just adorable. And of course, pictures are by Violetta WG. And um, she has these like glowy, soft, beautiful sort of digital art pictures that are really amazing that go along with that. And this book came out in 2012, A Leaf Can Be. And then they have another book called Water Can Be, which I actually probably should have mentioned that in the last episode, but it was a little bit more lighthearted and I was going with (laughs) more serious books about water. But um, Water Can Be came out in 2014 and it is same thing, adorable poem about all the things water can be like a thirst quencher, a kid drencher, a cloud fluffer, a fire snuffer. And so just fun things like that, that um, help to point out to kids all the things that nature does in the world. Anyway, I just think those are fun, sweet, lighthearted. Those little books, though, like they're good for little kids because they give you a full explanation, but they also are great, like um, like writing prompts for older oh, kids. Oh, that's true. You know, if you're working with a multi-age group, that's a great way to that's do it. That's a really good point because you could, first of all, list the different things that you think a leaf could be or water mm-hmm. or whatever, anything, a tree, a uh, rock, all those things. Yeah. Also just to take one of those lines and maybe draw a picture, their own picture of what a leaf is doing or water is doing. Right. Anyway, that would be fun. And then of course, the other thing that we do at preschool is we have a little corner garden. It's one of the things in Beyond the Bright Sea that I loved how they, they talk a lot about how they grow their own food and stuff like that. And I think that's really important. There are so many people that are so disconnected from the food chain these days. Oh, right. I mean, it's disgusting. And I think like really showed during the pandemic. I think people all started gardens during the pandemic last year. And I think that's huge. It's a whole victory garden. Concept. Yeah. So I have two picture books that talk about gardens. One is In a Garden, written by Tim McKenna and Amy Sakuro is the artist. And it's just really pretty like watercolor pictures with kids planting a garden and everything that goes into it week by week kind of breaks it down because of course gardens grow slowly. So that's one of the challenges with little kids. But this comes up with all different kinds of fun things that little kids can look forward to and talk about while you're planting a garden. That one came out in 2020. 
So that is a new one. And then the other one I have about gardening, it's a board book. So board books are for little, little ones, like two to four. And it's called One Tomato. And it's a garden county book. And I love this book. Full disclosure, it's by one of my closest friends, Rebecca Mullen. I know it's coming out May of 2020. I I got to see previews of this book while it was in the making. You can pre-order it now on all the, you know, where you can pre-order books. But but the fun thing about it is her niece, um, who's in college, did the artwork for it. And it's digital artwork. And it's beautiful beautiful and has all these really gorgeous insects throughout the book. And again, it's just a fun, like simple rhyming book and it's a counting book for, so that's for very little ones. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was sweet that Anna did the art for it because I remember when um, my friend Rebecca and I have been friends since our kids were in preschool together and she used to have artwork hanging on her wall by her niece when she was little. <laughs> Aww. And now they work together to make this picture book. And I just think that's so sweet. And it's really, that's going to be a really good one for kiddos. In a Garden is the first garden book I shared. And then um, One Tomato is the second one. Uh, The last two books are about getting outside. And that became so important. So important. During the pandemic. I think people realize how important being outside is to their mental health. And of course, if you can get your kids doing that as early as possible. That's one of the things that's stuck, I think. Don't you think? I agree. I think we were just saying like how many things changed that didn't change, you know, like that didn't stay whatever. But I think that's one of the things that is going to stay because people really realized how nice it is to be out and it does help your brain and it just going for a walk. I see more people walking when I'm out walking now than I have been ever since I've lived here and getting your kids outside. Like I said last time, I think that's one of the things that's going to stick at the preschool too, is that they'll be spending a lot Mm -hmm. more time with little ones outside because they saw that it can work and it's fine, you know, and it's so much better for them. So, but the first book I wanted to share in that category of getting outside is The Outside In. This is by Deborah Underwood, who's a well-known author. And Cindy Derby did the art. Again, it's like really dreamy watercolors. It's beautiful. And this is a Call the Cot Honor book. Um, this one came out in 2020. So, and this is just a beautiful book. It's called Outside In. And um, I, I was going to read you a little bit at the beginning because it's just so sweet. Once we were part of outside and outside was part of us, there was nothing between us. Now, sometimes even when we're outside, we're inside. We forget outside is there. So outside reminds us. And then it goes on. I just think that is such, it's such a beautiful, simple story. Again, this is one though, that I think you could use with a little bit older kids and just talk about what does that mean that we're not exploring the outside or we're even when we're outside, we're not even paying attention to it. And the other thing that I've recently been doing with picture books, because my younger one is almost out of picture books, but my older one, you know, is, but um, with our homeschool stuff, we've been doing like studying metaphors and, and, you know, lyrical language and personification and all that kind of stuff. And that's so great to do in picture books. And the simple ones are even better. Oh, yeah. Obviously, in picture books, there's things like alliteration, assonance, consonants. Assonance. Yeah, uh, yeah assonance is where like the vowels are repeated. Not Yeah. And, and then there's like consonants is clink, clank, clang, and all that kind of like clatter, clitter, cling, things like that. And then, of course, yeah, onomatopoeia, metaphor, simile. Oh, yeah. Rhyme. Yeah. Um, 
rhyme, rhyming within the sentence, you know, things like that too. And it's, it's easier to do it with the um, picture books because it's like to get the concepts down, especially for like a middle schooler to really nail that concept. It's right there in every picture book. You know, you, you see like, especially like personification and uh, hyperbole, things like that. My son is, was really struggling with hyperbole and we read some of his little brother's books and he's like, okay, I get it now. Now I, I get it. So God, that's so smart, Margie. That is such a great way to teach those things. I never thought about that because picture books really pack them in in order to keep kids entertained. So yeah, you're so smart. Fun times. Okay. The last book I have is called Tiny Perfect Things and it's by M.H. Clark and it's illustrated by Madeline Klepper, who's one of my favorite illustrators. Is my picture in there? Tiny Perfect Things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're on the first page. Am I on the cover? (laughs) Your feet are. (laughs) My feet are. Did you just say my feet are? (laughs) Your feet are in there. (laughs) Tiny, perfect things. (laughs) My God. So anyway, this book is about going for a walk and keeping your eyes open for tiny, perfect things. And it's just a perfect book to read before you go for a walk or after you go for a walk. (laughs) Before you go for a walk on your tiny little feet. Just in case you didn't listen to the last episode, I was busting on her little Barbie feet. So, okay, those are my six books. (laughs) I'm going to go buy Tiny Perfect Things. You should. It's a good book. And look for myself in there. I love books like that, though, that tell you, like, things to look for when you go on a walk or, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, books that have, like, a scavenger hunt along with them. I think they're so much fun. And they don't get old. My kids do not get too old for this because we still do that. Like, we did a really cool scavenger hunt in the fall. We went to Miles Standish Park and I gave them colors like a color palette that I had created and they had to find a piece of foliage to match every one of those colors. And they had a ball. I mean, you know, like I said, they're not too old. I had fun. It was fun. Those are fun games to play. Like forest schools play all those games where you find a matching color or you find something that you can make letters out of, like gather sticks and make letters with them. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. I just saw some kids that were doing a forest school thing where they would take mud and stick it to a tree and then stick things in it for like eyes and a mouth and yeah. and then it would dry and if you if it was stuck on there well enough it would dry in place which is kind of fun i just love like anything that you can get them outside to do that i mean like that's not sports ball because that's why my kids want to be outside so they can go out and do sports ball but um so sometimes they need a little bit motivated i think also because their father is scared of nature that that probably doesn't help my kids not be scared of nature but we're working on it you know they they are like fearless at the beach in the woods not so much. I'm the opposite. I am like scared of everything at the beach because I just, you know, again, like I did not grow up in the beach. Not so much in the woods. I'm like, I'm fine. There was a snake in our woods the other day. And I'm pretty sure that there were people like in three towns over that heard my husband screaming as he ran <laughs> down the hill and into the cranberry bog. I was like, where do you think you're going? Do you think that the snake is going to chase you to the cranberry bog? No. <laughs> Not to mention, we also have Debbie the turkey on my front step. I was going to say, are you going to talk about Debbie the turkey next? (laughs) Debbie the horny turkey. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Debbie's looking for Tom. Tom Selleck the turkey, which is what Nugget has named the Tom. Oh, it's turkey mating season at my house, literally in my front yard. Never, never disappoints. (laughs) Oh, gosh. We have turkeys on our little property. I can't wait to be living there. 
I wouldn't mind having turkeys on my property. I mind having a turkey on my front step that's the size of a toddler. And then when I'm like, Debbie, get off my front step. Because, you know, of course we had to name her Debbie. Debbie just looks at me and gives me turkey tood. And I'm like, no turkey tood from you, girl. Go. You need to go. And she's looking for love, apparently. I don't know. Tom and the crew were not up there. And then, of course, I spent, you know, I don't know how many hours I spent researching the whole concept of turkey mating. Thanks, Debbie. Didn't need those hours. So when someone wants to say, why are your cabinets so dirty? Be like, you know what? I don't know, but I know a lot about how turkeys mate. So there we go. Oh, my God. Have you fed your kids today? No, but I know about turkey mating. (laughs) Right. I know exactly how long Debbie's going to sit on those eggs. And how many times Debbie and Tom need to get together to make it happen. So thanks, Google. Oh, my gosh. Woo. Oh, that's a lot of action. Well, we got to nature. We We are saving nature. (laughs) We went from from why nature is a disaster to turkey mating in 2.5 seconds. Look at us go. Pretty tiny things. Anyway, (laughs) it's my new favorite book ever. (laughs) Tiny, perfect things. You know, I'm going to send a picture frame that says that and have your husband put a picture of your feet in it. (laughs) Oh, you guys, seriously, your feet look like Barbie feet. Oh, my God. It just dawned on me. Margie's making little felt images of us for Instagram. Mm -hmm. And are mine going to have tiny feet? I will give you tiny feet. I will not give mine Fred Flintstone feet like my feet, but I will give you perfect tiny feet. Just like Barbie. Okay. And little red Mary Jane. <laughs> oh, I love Mary Janes. Okay. I can live with that. So one other thing on the 22nd, there is a three-part series starting on PBS about Greta Thunberg and how to change a year to change the world. It's called, it's a three-part series. So, um, and it starts at eight o'clock on April 22nd in celebration of youth and their strides towards making the world a better place. So check it out. I, those, all those three-parters are always amazing to me. Yeah. I, I love them. So what's up for the next episode, Marty? Okay, so this next episode is a movement that I've been following on Instagram because you people see listeners, I'm cool and I'm on Instagram, but Heather refuses to get on there because she's not as cool as me. But I've been following this sort of, um, it's like like a fat representation movement, right? And it's been so amazing. I... I'm so excited. I found these two books. There's so many more. We'll post them all next episode and talk about it. But we're going to be reading a brand new, fresh out of the gate book called Starfish by Lisa Phipps about a little chunky gal and all of me about Chunky Boy by Chris Barron. And I'm so excited. As a fat kid my whole life, I would have given anything. And these are the conversations I'm having on Instagram with other people too. But like, I would have given anything to see myself in a book in a positive light or to see a fat kid like me in a book that wasn't like, getting bullied or wasn't like, oh, poor thing. She's going to lose weight and make better choices at the end. I'm so excited to read these books. I have heard nothing but good things about both of them. And that's what we're going to talk. We're going to talk about sort of fat uh, fat representation in kids because, you know, P.S., we're there and it's a great thing to talk about. So that's our next episode. Awesome. I can't wait. That'll be fun. I know. I'm psyched. I'm really psyched. So, and if you've liked what you've heard and you've been joining us for a while, if you would please leave us a review um, and share us with your friends and help us get some more followers and also make sure to uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get it right away. But if you leave us a bad review, I'm going to come sit on your lawn just like other people. Hey, girl. Hey. Every time you come in and out the door for months. But we won't give you cocktails. No, you won't have our cocktails. We're just going to taunt you. I'm like, hey, girl, are you going to wear that? We'll say things like that. 
like that to you. And if you want to find out what's happening on a road, you can follow me because I'm cool on Two Lit Mamas podcast on Instagram. And that's where I kind of dog on Heather sometimes because she's not on there. So I can do whatever I want. Um, or on Two Lit Mamas on Facebook where the geriatrics are. Right, Heather? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on our website, www.twolipmamas.com. So find us on social media at any of those and have a wonderful Earth Day. Yes, happy Earth Day. Plant a tree, save the world. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.